Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Today we will be speaking to Gavin Francis, founder and director of Worthstone. Hi, welcome to the latest IFA Talk podcast, where we talk to people who matter about subjects that matter to financial advisors. Uh, I'm Sue Whitbread. I'm the editor here at IFA Magazine. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Rebecca Tomes, our junior editor. And talking about subjects that matter, today I'm really pleased to say that we're joined by Gavin Francis. Uh, Gavin is founder and director at Worthstone. And I know he will be well known to many of our readers and listeners already. Uh, Gavin set up Worthstone back in 2010 uh, to help financial advisor firms to deliver an end-to-end social impact investment advice process for their clients. And I know because I was talking to him at that time about it all, uh, at which stage it was very new to all of us. So Gavin, welcome to you. It's lovely to see you again. It's been a while. Yeah, thank you so much, Sue, for uh, giving me the opportunity to to talk about a subject that I love and uh, and I hope is is helpful to other people that are listening in as well. Thank you. It's good to have you here. And we're going to be we're talking this week is uh, Climate Action Week, Net Zero Action Week. So it's very opportune that we've got you to to talk through these issues of sustainability. And there's a phrase which I know you've used in the past, which I think really captures the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. And that's that investing for good should be easy, but it isn't. (laughs) (laughs) And that sums it up for me. So I wonder if I can kick off then by asking you to explain actually what is impact investing and more importantly, why does it matter? And also if you could just share with our listeners why actually you did set up Worthstone all those years ago. Thank you, Sue. Yeah, I think um, where I usually start is um, we use the term impact investing at Worthstone. And the reason we talk about impact investing is because we believe that every investment has an impact, whether it's for good or for ill, uh, Mm. whether we know it or not, the the investment will have an impact. And um, what we're really passionate about is seeing the impact of an investment being embraced as a valued metric in every investment decision. So when an advisor Mm -hmm. or a client is thinking about the impact the investments that they want to make, they also think about the impact that that investment's going to have. And, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect investment. There's going to be investments that are doing some things that you'd, you know, rather that you see them improve and not do as as much of, Mm -hmm. and some stuff that they're doing really well and that are making really positive impacts in society or the environment. And, uh, you know, you want to be associated with that. Um, And so that's why we call it impact investing. And, um, you know, we like to see positive impact investing as well. So obviously, we're always looking at what's the net positive from that investment. So like I say, there's going to be some negative stuff that's happening. And there's going to be some positive stuff that's happening. The most important thing is to identify what those elements are and see mm. you know, whether or not there's more positive than the negative and whether or not that's going to meet with that client's um, objectives. And, you know, the reason we started Worthstone or, you know, all those years ago was because we actually saw that people cared about the way that they were starting to care and think more about the way that they were investing mm. that went beyond the financial return. So, um, you know, we are absolutely adamant that, you know, making sure a client meets their 
financial goals is is still paramount and it's so important that they feel comfortable and assured that they are on that trajectory to meet those financial mm. objectives that they set for themselves. But we also think that clients care about the, the way that they travel on that journey to meeting their financial goals. And, mm -hmm. you know, making a positive impact is one of those experiences in that in that journey. Um, and it's like all of us when we go on a journey. Yeah, of course, we want to get to the where we're getting going to, you know, the fastest way possible. But now we're thinking more about, well, you know, what's the impact of that journey? Mm. You know, um, do I enjoy the journey? Am I, you know, pleased to have taken that journey because it's, you know, in a, a less environmentally damaging way? And say, look, I'm mm. exhausting the analogy here, but, you know, <laughs> the, the journey sure. is often as, part, as, as important as the destination now. Oh, definitely so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, so I think the next question that I really wanted to ask is, how have attitudes and actions regarding impact investing changed since you first started at Worthstone? I, I think that's a, that's a really good question. And, and it's important for us to reflect on, on that, mm. you know, quite regularly because we can always get caught up in, um, you know, the negativity of we're not doing enough. But actually, yes. yeah. when we look at the last decade, you know, the, the financial planning profession in, in so many ways has made so many advances but oh it has hasn't it Gavin yeah totally and but yeah. in this area it's really ramped up and mm -hmm. I think the thing you know Sue when we look back at those you know those formative years and, and we were yeah. chatting about things those little um, meetings with like a dozen or so people in a room exactly <laughs> yeah you, you saw people get excited about it you know oh, once they suddenly learned that actually there was a way to do this it was yes. like okay so how do we because they they, yes. they had a sense that their clients were thinking like this as well and yes. you know the financial planning profession financial advisors you know you can say lots of things but they are very good at listening to their clients and trying to meet their clients objectives and that's yeah. all that this is really is understanding fully what your client's trying to achieve um, and, you know, trying to understand that journey, you know, what's, what's the journey they want to go on, you know, mm. to achieve their financial goals. So I think mm. what I've learned and seen over the last uh, decade is people being more aware that there are impacts in these investments, both negative and positive. Um, they've started to think more about how their clients might react to those and how they um, have that, you know, open up that dialogue with their clients. So, I feel there's a lot richer dialogue uh, between financial advisors and clients and advisors who are having these conversations with their clients always report back to me or, or, or share with me the experience that they've had in those conversations, that it's a much richer and deeper relationship that they're developing with those clients when they start to address those sorts of areas. Because it goes right to the sort of fundamental value set of, of people and um, you find out so much more, you know, and the other thing I sometimes find out is that, you know, um, a planner will come back to me and say, do you know what, Gavin, I didn't realise that this particular client, I had no idea, I hadn't put them in the bracket of wanting to make a positive impact. I had no idea that they were really passionate about this particular topic or subject mm. or, mm -hmm. or issue or theme. And, um, and it's brought in a whole new uh, topic of conversation into those mm -hmm. regular review meetings so I think it's about getting to know your client better um, and really you know getting a much uh, sort of closer relationship and and mm -hmm. helping them to see the value of their savings and their wealth and their investments you know the real value and the purpose behind it so again 
you know, sometimes people might have a lot of money, but they they are still questioning, well, what's that all about? You know, what, yeah. what are supposed to do so with it? often? Yeah. And so I think it really helps people to reconnect, you know, with what that purpose is. And um, that's something also that I think I feel that people have developed in terms of their understanding of how they relate to clients over the last decade. Mm. That's really interesting. Mm. There are more solutions, I guess, now too, aren't there, by way of product type areas, whereas back then there were a few what were called just ethical funds. And yeah. they were limited, weren't they? They just didn't invest in guns and tobacco and yeah. you know, a few other exactly. things, whereas things have become much more sophisticated uh, in right. terms yeah. of the range. Totally. There's a much what we, we we talk about the bookends of extended. So, you know, there's a much broader church of potential um, opportunities and ways of thinking about investing. And, um, yeah, we've we've moved on from just thinking about, well, we should avoid that stuff. But, you know, what are you actually left with in your portfolio once you've avoided all those things? And people were just focusing on the stuff you weren't investing in rather than yeah. the stuff you were investing in. Mm. And, you know, I think that's really important because, you know, to move on from that and to realise that actually there's more than one way of looking at things. You know, in so many areas of society, we've moved away from this kind of binary focus on things and realise that actually sometimes you need a spectrum of opportunity, a spectrum of, of ways of thinking about um, things. And so our thinking has developed in those areas. And it means that you can embrace a much broader um, cohort of the investing population because you're not just, you know, like I say, yeah. talking about avoidance all the time. Um, so, but yeah, mentioning that, you know, topic of, you know, avoidance, there's so, so much in terms of terminology that's also coming. And I think, that can also be a bit of a barrier. I'm, I'm really keen oh, to make sure. Oh, that's the world of financial advice generally, though, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it we yeah. do love an acronym or some Absolutely. piece of jargon. Go on. And, and mostly it's com it comes out of a good place because I think it's, you know, to help the kind of dialogue move quickly. Um, but it then does very quickly become a barrier to anyone outside of our little mm. bubble. And yes. That, that's something we need to guard ourselves It's the against. danger, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And particularly in this area where it's new, um, and uh, people are still kind of trying to work out what it is. And, and because it's new, people will be slightly scared of it to start with. They, they won't yeah, have the, yeah. the, the relevant or the necessary confidence. And that will be a barrier to them having those conversations with their clients because you don't really want to talk to your best client about stuff that you might get found out that you don't actually know very much about. So mm -hmm. you need to, yeah. you know, that, that's the chicken and egg. You need to build your confidence to be able to have the conversations but actually you only really start to build your confidence once you're having those conversations and yes, it's starting to then open up questions that you have to find the answers to. Mm. So I think, um, yeah, we need to be really careful about the sort of terminology we use. And that's why I try to take it back to people's objectives, what people are looking to try and achieve. Mm, I love um, that. Yeah. And, and, you know, keep it simple because yeah. in reality, people are people and they just they have a particular thing that they're interested in and mm -hmm. they don't care whether you call that impact ethical no thematic esg whatever they, yeah. they're just like really passionate about this particular thing and that's that's what they they want to do yes yeah. and it's tuning that into the client advice process and as you say with their own objectives and it's just another objective isn't it which needs to be satisfied in just the same way as all the others so no good good very good points there 
You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. Um, We talked about 10, 12 years ago when there were just a few funds called Tagged Ethical. And well, were they really? And I guess we've moved on to the stage now where quite a lot of criticism is levied, isn't it, by way of greenwashing and yeah. how do you get good data? So how do you know that a, a fund which is pertaining to be sustainably investing actually is doing that? So And it's growing day by day, I guess, with more and more funds jumping on the bandwagon and pretending or not or saying that they are, but are they really? Mm. So I just wondered, I know you've got the impact portal, which yeah. is a really helpful device for advisors to use if they can drill down into the detail actually see yeah. what's going on within funds sort of beneath yeah. the surface and I wondered if you can talk to that a little bit for us and explain that to our listeners yeah absolutely so I think there's um you know greenwash is the is the thing that's you know a lot of people are talking about funny enough we, we um over the jubilee weekend we were like invited a few neighbors around and uh, we were having a chat about stuff over a barbecue and our next door neighbours, uh, one of their daughters um, is 18. She's just sitting her A-levels. She started talking about greenwash. And I was like, I, I immediately, oh. my ears perked. Up. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah. like, has this become sort of common parlance? Obviously, I didn't use that sort of language because, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, is this stuff being chatted about um, amongst uh people of that generation and she was Mm. saying yeah absolutely we like you know it's something we we definitely are aware of um it is terminology that's being used so i mean it's not just confined to the financial services industry this is something that a lot of people are talking about and i think part of that is because we have so much um available information now and uh, we are looking to scrutinize things and we don't just take things at face value um, and I think that for me, um, it's, a, it's a positive thing that we're talking about greenwash, because when we talk about what's happened over the last 12 years, to start with, no one really cared about, you know, that those uh, sorts of investments. Oh, yeah, um, not at all. Exactly. Whereas, yeah. whereas now, you know, asset managers are listening to what their clients um, and, you know, pension investors are saying, particularly the big institutional investors, you know, mm. they've got big pension books. And they're doing huge surveys and hearing that their clients and investors are really, you know, onto this topic and they want to know how good their investments are. Um, And that means more now than just how well are they performing from a financial perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, So how good are my investments means something different today than it meant 12 years ago. And that's, that's one of these advances that we've seen. Now, if we think about that, that, you know, because people know that more clients want these types of investments um asset managers are are creating more opportunities for clients to invest in that way so they will um either launch a new fund or repurpose or relabel um one of their existing funds Mm -hmm. to um to meet that need now what we then need to see is that that sort of pre you know the the fund that they've relabeled or repurposed we need to see that the actual underlying investments of that fund are changed and the approach of that fund is yes changed of course to align yeah. itself to these objectives yeah. and that label as opposed to just being a label change mm-hmm. um and i suppose that's the that's the gap the integrity gap that we need to understand is you know 
is it just the label that says sustainable or whatever it says on the on the lid or or is it actually where it's invested that's actually changed mm. as well and that's where we you know that's the sort of analysis that we do and we pull in you know over 250 data points from different places to try and understand that and we look at um there's two types of impact in our view there's the enterprise impact. So that's the, the impact of the underlying companies in which you're investing, mm -hmm. uh, which form part of that fund. And there's the investor impact. And that's what we, we call the um, asset manager is the investor of those assets yeah. and the engagement and stewardship of those assets by the mm -hmm. asset manager with those companies. So things like voting, you know, how do they vote? How yeah. do they engage with the, the boards of those companies? Mm. Now, in my opinion, I'm seeing that that um, engagement, that mm -hmm. activity by the asset manager is, is potentially so impactful. And this opens up mm. a whole thread of other areas like, you know, should we be withdrawing from uh, investing in oil companies or should we be investing yeah. in oil companies and see them transition to... Uh, yeah. renewable energy or efficient energy yeah. companies you know help them on that we, journey almost yeah exa exactly yeah. so are we do we have more power at the table than by wielding a stick and saying oh we're going to withdraw our yeah. investment from you if you don't do what we say so you know there's a whole load of debate around what's what what what's a more effective strategy mm -hmm. and um that's quite an interesting debate and i also think there's a whole debate around you know can passive managers have an impact mm. or you know yeah. is it really just down to active managers um i'm starting to see through we we have lots of connections with some institutional investors and um we're starting to see the power well, they're reporting back to us on the power of some of the biggest passive managers with these uh, global companies so mm -hmm. if you know the ceo of one of the biggest passive managers someone like blackrock mm. picks up the phone to um the ceo of amazon it it's gonna have a big effect you yeah. know yeah um, yeah yeah they're big stakeholders aren't they absolutely mm -hmm. so they've got a massive role to play mm. and we need to encourage that because it's starting to happen so we've seen elgin you know legal and general yeah, yeah. Management. yeah no they've been very forward on that they, they have been amazing so yeah and they they've published their engagement so they published the impact of their engagement and they have seen quite a significant change in the behavior of the company so there's been a 35 percent reduction in um, the number of companies that they are having to put on a, a sort of warning list because they haven't been meeting these minimum climate requirement standards that Elgin set. Um, and, you know, only two companies have they had to disinvest from. Um, but they've got, you know, 87 billion in these particular funds that they've disinvested from these companies, they've got 87 billion pounds worth of assets. And so that's quite a big stick, you know, yes. to, you yes, know, to, uh, to use as a, um, an incentive for for companies to meet their minimum climate uh, standards and requirements so but the most important thing is they've published this they've made it public so you know other asset managers are able to see you know which companies that there's an mm -hmm. issue with um, it just you know most importantly investors can see as well so there's transparency 
And I think transparency is a really key part of this engagement process um, yeah. so that we can see, you know, which companies are the worst offenders. And, you know, it, it creates a, a momentum and a movement. Um, and we're all part of that because we all we are, we all are investors. We're all invested in pen, through pensions or through our savings, mm. through our investments. Um, so we're, we're all party to that. And those those asset managers are essentially agents on our behalf. Yes. And, and so we should be holding them to account as well as as much as they're holding the companies to account because they're our agent. No, good point. Definitely. Well, before we wrap up, then, we always like to ask our podcast guests one final question. And that question is, if you had the power to change one thing in financial services today, what would it be? Just one thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, How many do you want, Gavin? Yeah. Uh, do you know what? I, I have been in financial services for um, longer than I care to remember, well over 30 years. And <laughs> I think it's an amazing industry and um, <clears throat> it's done so many positive things and it's, it's created so many secure financial futures that wouldn't be secure mm. if it wasn't for the financial services industry. Uh, but one thing I'd like oh. to say, and I'd, I'd also like to say that I think the industry itself is constantly innovating. And uh, I, I genuinely am proud to be a part of that. And, and I think that we are, um, overall, we're a positive impact in society. To make us mm. even more positive, what I would love to see is that the asset management industry and also uh, financial advice um, companies and, and the industry and profession of financial planners that we take into account um, stakeholders as well as just the shareholders. Mm. So we, we have to report on the impact of, you know, our businesses on um, our customers um, mm. society and the environment in general and I think if we held ourselves account uh, to account for all of those elements that because we are part of society so you know mm. whether it be our supply chain our employees um, you know it, all of those elements make up the company and we should be accountable mm. to all of those um, stakeholders so I think I'd like to see us move from shareholder businesses to stakeholder businesses and I think if we were to be able to do that and we held ourselves to account for that, then I think we would have even more of an impact than we're having at the moment. And I think that could could only be a good thing. And it would have, you know, far reaching ramifications, which would be really positive um, right through society. Um, so that's the thing I'd love to see um, us uh, to move towards. It's mm, an interesting one. And we're seeing it in financial planning, aren't we, where there's been a, much, a move towards values-based yeah. financial planning. And this just takes that to the next level, isn't it? It's values-based. Exactly. Running that business and yeah. looking at the stakeholder involvement there and looking yeah. at those impacts too. No, good point. Good point. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got one more question, which was about climate change and net zero, ah. which is something obviously which is very much set on subject of conversations dinner conversations or whatever these days and last year's cop 26 gavin it hit the headlines it was on every news bulletin everywhere and i wondered in your view did you think now six months on it actually did make a difference 
And, uh, and should we really be getting our hopes up for COP27 or do mm. you think it's limited as to what these uh, conferences can actually achieve? That's a really, really good question. And uh, I can see why you left it till last um, because it's it's so all encompassing as well. It, it, you know, it has such uh, significance for mm. all of us. Yeah, doesn't um, it just, yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things we've got to take into account obviously things you know the world has changed since unfortunately for the worst yeah. since uh, oh know, my COP26. gosh yes mm, and yeah. um obviously with with the situation in ukraine and you know it's brought a focus on things like energy mm. um and where we source our energy and yeah. uh you know i'm i'm hoping it is also encouraged us that we need to accelerate the investment into mm -hmm. looking at you know alternative sources of energy and how we uh, look to you know provide energy for ourselves in the future. Um, I think COP twenty six was was a positive from the point of view that it actually brought. I think it did heighten people's awareness of the issue. Oh, it did, didn't it? I agree with so you. I yes. think that's got that's got yeah. to be a positive. And I, yeah. and I do genuinely believe that the commitments that were made need to be honoured. And you know mm. look that. At the end of the day, when any of us make a commitment and, and however much we put legal wording around it, if you want to get out of a commitment, you can always get out of a, a commit. Well, you know, people mm -hmm. do get out of commitments. So I think it's, you know, we need to take responsibility to make sure that those commitments are honoured. Yeah. And um, the, the, the government, the UK government, the UK has signed up to net zero by 2050. So that's that is in legislation. And, and we were the first major economy to do that. So we should be proud of ourselves for doing that. And now we need mm -hmm. to see that through. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's going to mean that we will all need to make certain sacrifices. And we will, you know, yeah. if we want it, if we want to take it seriously, then we're going to have to accept that sometimes it's going to cost us. And mm -hmm. um, but the benefits are far, far outweigh the, the, the potential costs. And um, I think it's it's about personal responsibility and it start, obviously it will always start with us. It starts with, you know, us taking more responsibility over our own consumption, um, you know, holding the people to account that are stewarding our assets like the asset managers, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so <clears throat> it, it's down to personal responsibility for me. And I think we can look to governments, um, but let's be honest, they always let us down so you know ultimately mm, let's not get started on that <laughs> we could be here all day we definitely won't get started on that but i think the, the only point i want to make is it doesn't matter which government it is it's it's still down to us mm, to take indeed. that personal responsibility yeah. first and if yes. we start with ourselves and we start by making those changes and um, you know we are active participants in anything that we can be to make a change then mm -hmm. then it will happen because Definitely. it's all about the momentum that's created by us. We've got we've got the power to to build that momentum to be part of that change. And if we're determined to do it and see that through, it will happen. Definitely. And we always say if everyone was to do just a little bit themselves, like the amount of impact that would make would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, but it's exactly. just getting everyone to work together, I guess. Yeah, and I, I think we also have an edu uh, sorry a responsibility to educate ourselves as well. So. 
it's it's a little bit like um you know what what's the difference between sort of um you know carbon uh neutral and net zero so mm. you know basically net zero is about mm. being focused on reducing your emissions as much as possible mm-hmm. and then then for the hard to reduce bits you can offset those yeah. whereas carbon neutral is about offsetting so yeah, yeah. you know there's a subtle difference but it's it's important and i think that's that sort of proactive mindset the net zero thing is the proactive mindset of let's reduce the emissions mm. um and, and let's face it, you know, looking at a lot of the evidence that's out there, um, we're, we're going to have to make some significant changes. Yeah. Um, so we, we need to sort of be applying our minds to that. And like I say, educating ourselves and, and, and being aware. I think that's the main thing. No, some, some good points there, Gavin. Very much so. And I think we will wrap up there for today. But... Can I just thank you very much for joining us? Uh, I, I certainly personally have got great respect for what you do and what you have done. And I should say to our listeners that I think that Worthstone is an organisation which not only is it independent and impartial, but, but if you're not familiar with them already, then go and have a look there. There are some excellent mm-hmm. resources for advisors and for power planners to, to help with the challenges. And I think you mentioned the word transparency earlier. I think that's a really good word. Uh, because transparency is everything now we've got to that stage in this process where that's so needed Uh, and it will help you and your clients to invest in in the ways that really do match their goals and when it comes to financial planning that's really what it's all about so Gavin thank you very much and it's been really good to have a chat with you and hopefully we can chat again well thank you so much for the opportunity really appreciate it thank you IFA Talk is for investment professionals only All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research, and whatever necessary, legal advice, should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.